Uh, go ahead and open to the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 1. We're uh, doing a new series we're calling uh, Joy for the World. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little riff on joy to the world. We're, we're kind of doing a, an early, uh, early advent because who couldn't use more joy, uh, frankly? Anyway, um, let me tell you about a trip that, uh, that Kathy and I took to Rome five years ago. Uh, five years ago, we stood here. Um, that's the interior of St. Paul's outside the walls, one of four uh, papal basilicas. Uh, it's outside of the Vatican, but it's still in Rome. The outside of the church is on the front of the, the bulletin. You can, you can see it there is the statue of Paul with you know, his sword of the Spirit um, that he's wielding. And, and what you're looking at here is a glass floor. That rectangle, that yellow rectangle is actually transparent, and you can see down four and a half feet below the altar, and there's an eight-foot-long white marble sarcophagus that we're told in, in, in that sarcophagus are the bones of St. Paul. That's where he's buried. So in 2009... Uh, the you know, Pope had radiocarbon dating done on the contents of that sarcophagus, and, and it was verified that those bones come from the first or the second century. So you know, nobody can say for sure, but there's, there's, there's actually pretty good reason to believe this is where Paul's buried. Like, that's it. And, and rather than this tomb, this sarcophagus, these bones becoming... <laughs> sort of this object of, of, of our veneration, uh, it, it is actually a really helpful uh, touch point for our thoughts about how Paul regards his death. Paul, Paul died, right? Like he, he was executed in Rome. He wasn't crucified. He was beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. So he was spared the, the awful agony um, and the humiliation of crucifixion. But he was executed as an enemy of, of the state, um, as a citizen of the state, and, uh, and, and that because he was a follower of Jesus. It's actually kind of remarkable that we have the book of Philippians. It's remarkable that we have half of Paul's writings. Paul should have died earlier than, you know, than he did, given all of the persecutions and all of the sufferings that, that he endured. It's kind of remarkable that we still have these writings, that he lived long enough to write uh, the book of Philippians. And what's even more remarkable is Paul's attitude toward his death. Paul had a distinctly Christian attitude toward his death, one that I'm afraid um, is lacking in, in me as much as I want it to be. Perhaps, you know, you think, boy, I, I, could, I could use some more of that. Uh, certainly we don't hear this kind of perspective on our dying um, in, in the majority of, of Christian circles. So let's stand in honor of God's Word. I'm going to pick up at the end of verse 18 and just read through verse 23 in chapter 1. <clears throat> Paul says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this imprisonment 
will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your words to us this morning. Thanks for this perspective on our death, on on our dying. Lord, uh, the joy that we can have at that prospect rather than uh, just the grief and the dread and the fear. Lord, would you teach us to find our gain in Jesus and uh, that he would get great glory through that. We pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Um, yeah, what I want to do here is just really zero in on, on verse 21. We're looking at these places throughout Philippians where Paul talks about joy. How can we get more of the joy that Paul had? But, you know, even there, we, we want to go further. Not just the joy that Paul had, because even as great as that would be, that's still just sort of, well, be like Paul. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not enough. That's not going to get us to where we want to go. That's actually not going to get us to be more like Jesus, because we want what Paul had, which was the joy that Jesus had, and, and that's ultimately where we need to land. But, but let's look at verse 21, where Paul says, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Um, we're going to look a little bit at living as Christ, but we're going to focus more on that next week. Uh, we're going to hunker down on dying as, as gain. Uh, but so, so let's just talk about for starters, to live is Christ, right? Um, and, and Paul begins this little section about this, where his joy comes from and where his gain is found. He, he begins right in the, verse of, at the end of verse 18 where he says, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. Even though I'm in prison, um, we, we really believe that he uh, was released from this imprisonment where he's writing to the Philippians talking about, I don't know, maybe this is going to end in my execution. Maybe I'm going to be released. I don't know. Most scholars believe he was released from this imprisonment. He went on to have a, a, another, a fourth missionary journey all the way west towards Spain, but got into trouble with Rome somewhere along the line after that that's when he was brought back to Rome a final time, and that's when he was executed somewhere between maybe 65 and 67 AD. So as he's writing this, he doesn't know if he's going to be released from this imprisonment. Maybe it's going to end in his execution. Maybe it's going to end in him being released, and he's going to have more fruitful ministry. He doesn't know, but regardless, he's determined, I will rejoice. Regardless of what happens, I will rejoice. And so for Paul, we see a couple of things going on in his choice to rejoice, and that is that he is making a, a deliberate you know, decision, I'm going to rejoice, and that this is based on hope. 
There's something in the future for him that helps him have joy about this prospect. So let's talk about both of those real quick. The fact that his rejoicing as a choice is pretty remarkable. Uh, in verse 22, he says, look, if, if I go on living, if I'm released from prison, that's great because that means fruitful labor for me. That makes me happy to think I can continue to bear fruit in your lives and that that's going to make you happy as you're fruitful. And ultimately, all that fruit makes Jesus happy because it's for his glory and he, you know, it's his desire that we bear much fruit demonstrating that we're his disciples, John 15 stuff, right? So Paul's got some joy, some satisfaction in the prospect of being released. He can continue to preach the gospel. He can continue ministering to people and working for their joy. I love how Alec Mateer summarizes this. He wrote a commentary on Philippians. Great subtitle, Jesus, Our Joy, right? And he says that, for, uh, he's paraphrasing Paul here, hey, life means Christ to me. As I more fully know and love and serve him day by day, death means Christ to me when I shall finally possess and eternally enjoy him. So regardless whether he lives, whether he dies, he's going to rejoice. And part of that joy is being able to bear fruit. Now, there's something that I think is helpful here for us as we think about Paul's making a choice to, to find joy, regardless of you know, the fact that he's in prison, regardless of the fact that he's got this possible death sentence hanging over him. So, so that's remarkable, right? Here's a guy who's got all kinds of reason to, to look at his environment and his circumstances and just, you know, despair, but instead he says, no, I will rejoice. He's not letting his suffering and his imprisonment define him. Something else defines him. He's not denying it. He doesn't ever, you know, whitewash his trials. He never whitewashes his pain or his suffering. But when he talks about being a prisoner, and, you know, we all know this is false imprisonment. This is persecution. He's He's in jail because of Jesus. He's not hurting anybody. He's blessing everybody, and yet, you know, he's suffering. But when he talks about being in prison, you can go and look in a concordance, or you can Google this, or find an online concordance, and it's really fascinating to see that every single time that Paul talks about being a prisoner or being in prison, he uses a formula. And the formula varies a little bit, but it's the same kind of thing where he says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord or I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ. Like he, his, his identity is, is I'm, I'm in Christ, I'm, I'm, I'm in Jesus. You know, Jesus is his identity. His circumstances, he's not ignoring. I'm in prison, but what's fundamental for him, his focus is Jesus. And that's pretty instructive for us. Paul's suffering. So he's suffering terribly. Can we, can we also admit that? Suffering more than many, many, many of us are. And I'm not trying to minimize or diminish our, you know, pain. But if somebody like Paul can be in prison and, and not let that circumstance, not let that suffering be what defines him, but instead let Christ define him, for him to be able to say, I'm going to choose to rejoice. I, I, 
I am focused on something else besides my pain and my suffering, that gives him the power to make that choice. And that would be wonderful power for you and I to have too. That's not to say your suffering isn't valid. It's not to say my pain isn't real. It just means that we can have our focus elsewhere. We can make a choice to find some joy despite the circumstances that, that are painful and difficult. Um, Paul, Paul's not only making a choice to rejoice, I will rejoice. That, that has a future connotation too. I will rejoice. There's a, there's a choice there, but there's a hope there. And, that, and it's not just uh, blind optimism. He's not, <laughs> he's not saying, boy, I, I, you know, there's, there's going to be pie in the sky in the by and by. No, he, he knows for sure that there's such a thing as resurrection. He knows for sure there's going to be eternal life. He knows for sure there's a kingdom that's coming and, and you know, Jesus is returning. These are all facts for him that make his joy not just something that's Pollyanna-ish, uh, not something that's just sort of like a Hallmark card, but it's factual and it's real. It's as real as the, 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 the men and women who, were, who, who got off a third shift last night and at 2 a.m. we're going, yep, you know, sunrise at whatever time, and, and then we can go home. Like nobody said, what are you smoking? The sun's going to rise. <laughs> That's crazy talk, right? No, of course it will. And, and, you know, the men and women who were on third shift, they're, they're maybe, you know, in bed now sleeping it off. Who knows? Um, but, you know, it's, it's like the, those of you who two weeks ago were going, boy, I can't wait for cooler weather and I can't wait for fall. Boy, what are you smoking? That's crazy talk. Fall whatever. No, of course it's here. And so for Paul, like he's not, he's not just dreaming this. He's not just imagining the hope. I will rejoice. He knows for sure. He will rejoice. So it's present, it's future. And so as, as we think about the joy that, that we have, I just want to know, are, are you looking forward to anything at your death? This is the joy of anticipation. Paul has this forward future orientation to what's ahead, and it fills him with joy. Do you ever see the, um, the reels or the videos of the families that are, hey, we're going to surprise the kids? And they've got the SUV or the, you know, the, the, the minivan all loaded up. The bags are packed. Mom and dad show up you know, to school, picking the kids up. We're going to Disney, you know, jump in, let's go. And the kids are squealing and screaming, oh my gosh. You know, it's a Disney reveal, right? And it's, and it's kind of fun to watch, watch the kids freak out and everybody's yelling, ah, so, so, so hype. But I sort of feel bad for the kids. I feel bad for the kids because, yeah, they're going to have a great time. I mean, hopefully. It's really sad to be at Disney and you watch the parents screaming at their kids. Anyway, uh, everybody's going to have a good, a good time, we hope. Um, and, and yet, the kids have sort of missed out on something. What, what have they missed out on? They missed out on like, the anticipation of going to Disney. They missed out on the, on the joy of taking this incredibly wonderful family vacation. I mean, maybe it's not Disney. Maybe it's a, you know, some trip out west or whatever. Who knows? But... But if you just spring it on the kids, they don't get to have the joy of anticipation. They don't get the joy of hope. They don't get to, to 
be a part of the planning. They don't get to have the, 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 the longing and the, uh, the, you know, the enthusiasm and, and all the buildup. So, you know, you kind of watch those videos and you, you have a little different take on those now anyway. But does death give you anything at all to look forward to? Do you have the joy of anticipation when it comes to dying? What would make dying gain for you? Let me me ask that again. What would make dying gain for you? Now, that question, that question on its own merits, if you were just to, to, to ask your, a friend of yours at work or on the street or in your neighborhood or whatever, what would make dying gain for you? So many people are going to look at you like you have just lost your marbles. How in the world can dying be gain? Dying is lost. The world looks at dying and death and says that there's no gain there. It's, you lose everything. You leave everything behind. You take nothing with you, and there's no U-Hauls behind hearses, and you've seen the bumper stickers, etc. So the world thinks that's crazy, right? What will you gain by dying? Well, Paul says that there's, there's gain, right? So let's, let, let's look more at, at, at what Paul's describing. Let's look at our gain and Paul's gain, and then ultimately Jesus's gain. Um, so, is the world right to say that death is, that's it, it's just loss, it's just deprivation, there's nothing left? Is that true? What's the Christian response to that? Well, it's kind of, you kind of look at it from a couple of angles, and depending on the angle you're looking at it, you might have a different reply. On the one hand, the world is absolutely right. Dying is loss. And you do lose everything if everything you have is here. If everything that you've put your hope in and everything you find your joy in is here on earth, then yes, you do lose everything. Death really does take it all away. And if you've made this world your only treasure, then dying indeed is is a tragedy beyond description. That's why Jesus would, would tell his disciples, be careful. Be careful where your treasure is. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where, where thieves can break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where those things won't happen, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, Jesus told a parable, right, about this, this guy who had acres and acres of just bumper crops. Just, I mean, they didn't have enough combine harvesters to bring in, you know, all of the wheat and all of the, you know, the yield. And so the barns are full and, the, and the, the tractors are still rolling in and they're still piled high. And he's going, what am I going to do? I'm going to build more barns. I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm going to just have it made, and I'm going to eat, drink, and be married, and I'm, going to, I'm just going to you know, be this fatted calf, you know, that, that just kind of pig, pig and slop, that kind of thing. And Jesus finishes the parable, 
And he describes the night when this guy dies. And God says to him, you fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? You can't take it with you. If you put all your treasure on this earth, in this world, death takes it away. And that's foolish to do. So, it, so the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God is a fool, right? But what's the other side of this? On the one hand, the world's right. If all your treasure is in this world, then yeah, death takes it all away. Death is loss. Death, death is deprivation. On the other hand, what if your treasure isn't on this world? What if you, laid, what if you took Jesus' counsel and put your treasure in heaven, right? What, what if your joy isn't in the bigger barns, and what if your treasure wasn't piled up on earth, but what if it was piled high in heaven? Then death kind of has a different take. Then it would be wrong to say that dying is, is lost because then dying becomes gain. If, if you want to know how to maximize uh, your happiness in the afterlife, we have to make it our mission to find our joy in what will last forever. Um, and I have, uh, maybe so I'm starting to sound like John Piper to some of you, and if I am, good, because I'm, I'm intentionally channeling him. Because this, this is right out of like the pleasures of God and so many of his other writings that have been so helpful to me and many other Christians to understand, wait a minute, where are we looking for joy? And so if your joy now is in Jesus, then guess what death brings? More Jesus, right? And you will get more of him when uh, and after we die. But if our primary joy instead is found in the things of this earth, like making money or following your, your, your favorite team or, you know, playing on your phone, or maybe you find your joy in just always being right and winning all the arguments and putting people down, or you know, maybe you find your joy in controlling people, or maybe you find your joy in, you, know, you name it, X, Y, or Z, then dying really will only be deprivation for you because those things will pass away. They will be no more. John Piper, if you want to, you know, if that interests you to, to know more about what his thoughts are, there's a great little introductory book, small book, called The Dangerous Duty of Delight. And in that he writes, if you want to glorify Christ in your dying, you must experience death as gain. Which means Christ must be your prize, your treasure, your joy. He must be the satisfaction so deep that when death takes away everything you love but gives you more of Christ, then you count it gain, right? So death doesn't, um, does, death doesn't like alter the object of our happiness or the source of our joy. It just changes its, uh, its quality and its quantity. Here's a, maybe this would help to think of it this way. Like if, if, if you compare death to taking a trip, like going on vacation, the person who loves gardening, like the, the florist or, or you know, the, the master gardener or whatever, the person who loves gardening goes on this tropical vacation, right? Can't wait to get there. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the plane touches down, they get to the hotel, and they go, you know, they're surrounded by all these tropical exotic flowers and lush greenery and all this. But all of a sudden, they decide, 
that has no interest for me anymore. You know what? I've really had this urge, this incredible, like unquenchable urge to do is to go play slots and they head to the hotel casino. Like the trip doesn't change what you love. Death isn't going to change what we love. What we love now is what we're going to continue to love in the afterlife. If you love Jesus now, you get more of Jesus. But if you love the things of this earth now, those aren't going to continue. person who loves Star Wars, right? They just, or Disney, right? D- Dis- Disney, we're kind of going on that theme. The D23 conference was like a couple weeks ago. A person loves all things Disney. They're going to go to Orlando, go to the D23 con- uh, conference. Can't wait to get there. They get off the plane and all of a sudden, I don't like Disney anymore. Oh, but there's a fiddler's convention in the hotel lobby. I'm going to go there. Like, it just doesn't make sense. So if, if, if death is that journey, it doesn't change the object of what you love, but it will change the, the, the satisfaction and the joy and the, and the intensity of what you're going to experience there. So if your joy is in Jesus, you're in good shape. Jesus said to the thief on the cross who right beside him asked Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus told him very succinctly, very plainly, very beautifully, truly I say to you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. And for us to get into our head and our heart that paradise isn't just a place. It's a person. And the, and the good news about anticipating being with Jesus in the future after we die is that we can be with them now too. Yeah, it's, you know, it's more removed and, and it's not immediate and it's not as intense as what we're going to experience in heaven, but, but we can have joy now, a foretaste of the joy that's going to come. So that's, that's what's being offered to us. Paul you know, says something very similar to what he tells the Philippians about his understanding of gain you know, um, when it comes to what's going to happen after he dies. He says something similar to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, We walk by faith, not by sight. And we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Look, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I'd rather be home with Him, with Him, with Him. Paradise is a person. Paul was in pursuit of gain. He he wanted to gain. Maybe it's helpful to clarify that Paul didn't have a death wish. Like he wasn't just kind of like looking for some final exit because his suffering had gotten so great. Like, oh, this my circumstances are terrible. I just went out. It's not that's not his that's not what he says, right? To, to, to live is Christ. Maybe I'll go on living and I'll have fruitful labor. That'd be great. I'll have joy in that. But to die is gain. And, and I can be home with the Lord. Like he's just pointing out that, look, whatever was on earth that I used to trust in and, and find gain in, that means nothing to me anymore. So turn to Philippians 3, two more pages or chapters, and, and you'll see what he's talking about, where he starts to list all the things that used to bring him joy, that used to be his, 
his identity that used to be his sense of satisfaction, all of his accomplishments, all the ways that people regarded him, all the ways that people respected him. And he talked about how he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And then the wheels fell off. And then he was on the road to Damascus and like he fell off his horse. And then he saw that Jesus is the only gain that is ever worth having. And then he said, then he realized, you know what? Whatever gain I had, I now count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing gain, the surpassing profit of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul's mission is to gain Christ. Paul's mission is to pile up his treasure in heaven, and that treasure is Jesus. He uses a real economic word on purpose here. The word gain is the Greek word for profit. He's unabashedly saying, I want gains. I, I want to invest myself in Jesus so I can get great gains paid back. You can't profit if you don't invest, right? Stock market, you can't make money in the stock market. Well, nobody's making money in the stock market. But, you know, buy low, right? So, so hopefully it's going to go back up. And if you put your money in, it'll go back up. Who knows? Um, but that's how it works. You're definitely not going to make anything if you don't invest. And so if I can just borrow Paul's language here, you're not going to gain, you're not going to profit if you don't pursue Christ, if you don't invest in Christ. What does that mean? How are we learning from Paul in order to gain Christ? Well, Paul invested his time. Paul invested his energy. Paul invested his attention. Paul invested his affection. Paul invested, um, okay, let's talk about money. There are ways that churches have done horrible things in investing and, and calling people to invest in the kingdom of God and manipulating people to get their money. But how many times did Jesus appeal to people's wallets to say, where is your treasure? And so a healthy Christian attitude toward our money is not to hoard it, but to give it away generously so that it doesn't attach itself to our soul like a lamprey, like those fish that suck onto the sharks and just swim along suck the life out of them. We don't want money to do that to us. But if we make an investment in the kingdom, then, we're, then every time you give your money away, you are proving to the world, you're proving to your soul, and you're demonstrating to Jesus, you are my treasure. It's an investment in Jesus. He is my treasure, not what I can buy you know, with, with this stuff. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit is starting to apply some of heaven's logic, and you're going, yeah, I get it. Okay, I have to make Jesus my treasure in order to see dying as gain, and then I'll have joy at the thought of my death. But uh, how, I, I think I understand this logically, but how does my heart engage with this? I think it makes sense, but it, I'm not feeling the joy yet. And you won't. I won't. None of us will unless we see Jesus' gain. 
Unless we see what Jesus considered gain. Not just what Paul considered gain, but what Jesus considered gain. Jesus gathered the disciples in the upper room on the night that he was betrayed, and he said to them, you've heard me say I'm going away, and I will come to you. If, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. All right, so... Why does Jesus tell the disciples that they should rejoice because he's going to the Father? Like if I told you, hey, uh, the dailies are going to Disney, you should rejoice with me. Why would, you, why would I want you to rejoice with me? Well, presumably because I might have some joy in the fact that, you know, we're taking a trip or whatever. Or you're going, you know, on an on a exotic vacation or whatever. Or you're doing some kind of big ticket thing that you've longed for and looked forward to and rejoiced in, and, and, and you're telling your friend, and you want them to rejoice with you. Why? Well, why does Jesus want his disciples to rejoice with them? Unless it brings him joy at the prospect of going to the Father. Dying is gain for Jesus. He saw the prophet. He saw the blessing. He looked forward with joy to the prospect of going to the cross, not only to be with his father, but also because that would mean that he has accomplished the work that the father had given him to do. A couple of chapters later in John 17, he's praying and he says, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So the joy of being with the Father means that they will be reunited in glory after Jesus has completed the work that the Father gave him to do. The good work, the joyful work that Jesus came for, which was designed to gain things, people that brought joy to the heart of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What was the work that God commissioned Jesus to accomplish on earth? That work, you know, is to to gain a people. That work was to gain a bride, right? Jesus came to woo a bride, to, to promise himself to his beloved. Jesus came to to forgive his enemies, in order to transform us into his friends. Jesus came to kick off a kingdom where we might become citizens instead of aliens. And Jesus came to forgive and welcome a family to make us his brothers and sisters, right? This is all about gain. This is all about what made Jesus happy. He did this for the joy that was set before him. And death became a means by which he would gain us, by he, the means by which he was rejoicing because it meant that he would gain a bride. And, and he rejoiced because it meant that he would gain a people. And it, he rejoiced because it meant that he would gain a family. And he would gain friends. This is all about Jesus pursuing us and, and rejoicing to gain us. And so when Jesus told the parable of the, you know, the, the pearl and the, the treasure in the field, when we hear Jesus say the kingdom of heaven is like a 
treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys or, or gains that field. We hear that parable typically, and it's good to, to know that we need to take that parable to heart and understand that the kingdom of heaven is like that treasure in a field. And once we see it, we need to sell everything. We need to look at everything in our life as lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing and having the kingdom. But that parable isn't just about us. That parable is about Jesus. That parable is autobiographical. Jesus is the man who finds the treasure hidden in the field and then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and gains that field. And Jesus is the one who, like a merchant in search of fine pearls, finds one of great value and then goes and sells all that he has and gains it. Jesus is the one that laid down his life all that he had in order to gain us. That's what he was doing on the cross, looking at death as gain. And that's what softens our hearts. He wants to gain you. It makes him happy to have you. It gives him joy to have more of you, to have more of our time, more of our energy, more of our attention, more of our affection. And you can't exhaust that. You and I can have as much of Jesus as we want. We can have as much joy in him as we want if we go to him, if we keep going to him. He will never turn you away. He will never say, not today. He will never say, do you again? And doesn't that warm your heart? Doesn't that help you to see, wait a minute. I want joy in something someone that will never be taken away from me. And I want to find my joy in what will last for an eternity. And I want to find my joy in something that isn't going to be diminished, it isn't going to decay, isn't going to you know, be taken away, but will grow and be infinite and eternal and joyful forever. Is dying gain for you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for teaching us not only how to live well, but how to die well. Lord, we pray that as we consider uh, our own lives and the ends of our lives, Lord, uh, help us to have the joy of anticipation. Uh, help us to avoid a macabre death wish or just a, a, an exit strategy from pain and suffering, but instead let us with longing want more of Jesus. Help us to know the joy of being in a relationship with him, the joy of having our sins forgiven, the joy of knowing his smile, the joy of knowing his embrace, the joy of knowing his promises to be our God, to be our Savior, to be the one who loves our souls. Help us to hear your singing over us. Help us to be convinced that you rejoice over us. In your name we pray.